Hello and welcome to Food Focus. Food Focus is a podcast providing an opportunity for conversations and perspectives on issues of interest in the food system. My name is Mike von Massa. I'm a faculty member in Food, Agricultural and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph and the OAC Chair in Food Systems Leadership. And my objective is to discuss, challenge and learn about topical issues related to food in a way that is accessible to a broad audience. So today we're talking to Dr. Ralph Martin, who's a professor in the Department of Plant Agriculture at the University of Guelph and uh, an advocate for organic food. We hear a lot of perspectives relative to organic food it's more nutritious, it's fresher, it's better for us, it's better for the planet. And I think there are a wide range of perspectives in, on it. And I spent some time asking Ralph why he thinks we should be eating more organic food. I look forward to the conversation. Well, welcome. And uh, I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Dr. Ralph Martin, who is a professor in plant agriculture here at the University of Guelph and also relevant to our conversation today, formerly the founding director of the Organic Agriculture Centre of Canada in Truro, Nova Scotia, before we were lucky enough to get you to come here to Guelph. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you very much. So, Ralph, I wanted to take the opportunity to talk a little bit about organic -hmm. organic food, and and, uh, you and I have had these conversations before. It is an important part of the market, but still a relatively small part of the market, and I think a lot of people don't have a great understanding of, of really what the value uh, of organic is and, and why they should use it. If you're some, anything like our household, we buy some stuff organic, uh, probably to a degree, depending on price, probably mm-hmm. to a degree. My wife is the primary grocery shopper, probably to a degree on conceptions of which ones are better to buy organic and other things. I think there's a lot. So I've heard you say in the context of our food waste research that if we could reduce waste rather than spending less on food, you'd like to see people switch to organic and buy, acknowledging that it's probably a little more expensive and buy a better quality of food. Right. And and just to set that up, what I sometimes like to say is that across the value chain, we're wasting 40% of the food in Canada, about half of that or 20% is in the household. So that costs us, uh, like a, the average family spends $153 a week. 20% of uh, $153 is $31. So that's how much food we're wasting. The families that buy organic food spend about $27 a week more than families who buy non-organic food. So I say to families that are in a household where they're buying non-organic food and wasting, do two things. Stop wasting, buy organic food, and you still save four bucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so why then should I not just reduce my waste mm-hmm. and save thirty-two bucks? Right. <laughs> right. Well, fair question. And I and I think that you know there are there are benefits. Uh, Carl Leeford and his group in uh, in the UK did a, a meta study. They did two or three, but there was one in particular with vegetables and so on, organic vegetables and non-organic. And they determined that pesticide levels were clearly lower in the organic. And depending on sensitivities and so on, that can be a huge issue for some people, uh, certainly more for some than others. There still are pesticides in organic food because there's wind drift from 
non-organic farms and so on and some of the travels in the water and rivers and and that type of thing but many many studies have shown that pesticide levels are lower in organic food anthocyanin levels and anthocyanins are good you might find them in blueberries and mm -hmm. things like that they're um, higher in organic food according to his meta study in products that you would expect to see anthocyanins in Right. Or are they in, they're not in, or well, they just, in just, well, it's just, yeah, it'd be mostly in products that you'd expect to see them. Yeah. yeah. But overall, in an organic diet, yeah. then the anthocyanin levels mm -hmm. were, were higher. In milk, conjugated linolenic acids, CLAs, were higher in uh, organic, and omega 3s were higher, both good things. That could partly be because organic cows generally get more forages, more grass and clover as a proportion of their diet than on non-organic farms. Organic farms, because of the standards, are required to have a high proportion of the diet and forages, and that has to do with rumen health and so on. So it could be that farmers who choose not to be certified could also feed plenty of forages and also get higher CLAs and higher omega-3s and that's fine with me. I, we do a lot of research in the organic sector, and some of the research um, benefits uh, organic farmers only, but by far the majority of the research benefits everyone. And if farmers who choose not to do organic certification want to take advantage of some of the things we find, great. Mm -hmm. Use it. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm gonna that, that's great. So I'm going to follow up on a couple of those things. The first thing you talked about was pesticide residue, and, yes. and that's been in the news some lately. We've mm -hmm. seen, oh, we're finding it everywhere, and I think you couched it quite interestingly. You say, well, that's not going to be an issue for everyone. So, it, mm -hmm. so it's not like our food system is packed with unhealthy levels of residues. There are some people who might who might have sensitivities for whom that's an right. issue. Is that is that's, that is that characterized sort of what you're what you're saying? I think that's true, and I I know that when I was the director of the Organic Agriculture Center of Canada, when we got calls from consumers, they were from consumers who had sensitivities, and it was very important to them to find out where to get organic food, and quite a few of them reported differences in in their health. Mm -hmm. But that that's probably a small portion of people. I think that um, in general, in our food system, we have fairly strict standards. And there are people, though, who feel that the long-term effect of pesticides on uh, the human body is generally negative, And mm -hmm. they would prefer to eat organic food so that they don't have this long-term cumulative effect on their, on their bodies. And... So there is a high demand for organic. Mm -hmm. In fact, in the GTA, in greater Toronto area, the demand for organic food is far higher than what we're producing in Ontario. So there's potential there also to increase returns at the... Are, yes. Is organic farming profitable? I yes. Before I say there's the potential to increase the returns, is it profitable and more profitable than, than conventional? Well, there was a fascinating study done a few years ago forgetting the author's names right now, but it was done in about 2016, 2017. And they argued that the organic premium only had to be 5 to 7% higher than what people were paying for their non-organic food 
in order for organic farmers to make the same amount of money. Organic yields are lower than um, non-organic yields, but because there's a higher premium and there's also lower input costs, so in that study, they only had to have premiums of 5 to 7% to break even. When they were getting their regular premiums, they were 20 to 30% more profitable than um, non-organic farms. Now, that profitability assumes that the farm has gone through transition and that the organic farmer has learned all the nuances of the organic system. So, so um, there are there are some transition costs where, exactly. where you can't be certified for three, three years, years and then there are there's probably a learning curve that extends beyond that. And that's a big risk. Even though there's a greater demand in the GTA than what we can meet with Ontario produce, a farmer considering going organic has to think about the fact that for those three years of transition, they must manage organically but not get the organic premium during that time. And it's the first three years where they're going to take the biggest hits to their yields. So if they've been farming with pesticides and so on and synthetic fertilizer, and then they go to a new system, they're going to find that there are significant management adjustments. (laughs) Their yields are going to drop. They're not going to get the premium. So they have to have the cash flow to carry them through that three years. And even after that, when they start getting the premiums, it often takes five to maybe even 10 years for the farm to become fully adjusted and for the farmer to become fully adjusted to the system. So yes, the profits are higher once you've gone through all that, but there's a significant risk to go through that. And uh, that's why many farmers in Ontario choose not to do it. That's a legitimate business decision. Yeah, okay. You talked about some of the health omega-3s in milk and the anthos... Anthocyanins. Anthocyanins. Yeah. Are those antioxidants? Yeah. 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 So in products being higher, I've also seen a lot in the media, Mm -hmm. to be honest, I haven't read a lot of studies that say the, the science is at best equivocal about whether there are health benefits relative to organic or not. Is that is that fair? fair? Yeah, I, I think that is fair. The thing is, it's difficult to do this kind of a study. If you just go and pick tomatoes off the shelf, then you're picking tomatoes at random. And it could be that you pick tomatoes from a non-organic farm, and that farmer may be managing very well with cover crops and rotations and good soil fertility and perhaps manure and compost as well. They've, they've got all their micronutrients balanced. So... What we would really have to do is do a study where we have a randomized experiment. The treatments are randomized. But if you do it on an organic farm, the organic farmer is not going to want to let you do use synthetic fertilizer and pesticides. Mm -hmm. And if you do it on a conventional farm, it takes the five years that I mentioned before for the soil to completely adjust. So you'd have to set up your randomized experiment five to 10 years ahead of time and then start sampling the difference between the organic and the non-organic tomatoes. It comes from the same soil in a completely randomized experiment. So those are very difficult to do. So a lot of times when you hear about studies that are comparing the two, they're picking, literally, they're just 
cherry picking yeah. <laughs> off the shelf. <laughs> yeah. And and they're you know, and we we take what we get. So that's that's interesting. It begs the question then, is it organic production by itself, or is it a series of practices that are part of organic production that other does it mean we can do farm better in a conventional way and get many of those benefits? I think that's fair to say. We do quite a bit of organic research in Canada, and um, the Organic Agriculture Centre of Canada developed the first organic science cluster in 2009. The second one was 2013, and now the third organic science cluster is starting in 2018. There have been a number of experiments across Canada, and we're, we're finding that a lot of the research is benefiting both organic farmers and non-organic farmers. And non-organic farmers want to pick up in this research and use it so much the better. I think my favorite story there is about no-till. For many years, because I was the director at the Organic Center, people were challenging me about defending diesel fuel farmers because they, don't, they do tillage. And the argument was that they were doing too much tillage Whereas a lot of non-organic farmers were using no-till, which has very, uh, it's very good, many benefits, mm-hmm. that's indisputable. The thing was that at the time, uh, if you wanted to do no-till, you had an obligate relationship to herbicides. You had to use herbicides to control the weeds if you were not using tillage. Then at Rodale Institute in Pennsylvania, which has done a lot of organic research, They started thinking about doing this differently, and they were imagining how you would push the weeds down into the soil. And in a Mennonite, I'm proud to say, a Mennonite machine shop, they developed the roller crimper. And it's like a drum with flanges on the drum, and uh, they push a cover crop of rye into the soil and crimp it and break it up so that it dies, but it provides a cover, and they can take a no-till drill and go right into that and seed no-till corn or soy or other crops. Now, the system still depends a lot on biology, and there's research and the exact angle to put the cover crop with respect to the uh, main crop, and the timing and the growth stage of the uh, cover crop and so on. But we're getting better and better. Now we're at the point where there are non-organic farmers who are using the roller crimper. And someone no less than Howard Buffett, the son of Warren Buffett, uh, farms many acres. He wrote a, an interesting book called 40 Seasons, I think, or something to that effect, 40 Crops. And um, he argues that every farmer has about 40 seasons. He uses the roller crimper. He, he says in the book, I don't want to be organic. But he said, this part of the organic system is really good. And it saves money. He said, I'm, I'm spending less money on herbicides and pesticides than I used to. I can still use them if I need to as a plan B. Mm-hmm. But he likes it because he's saving money and he uses it on all his farms. There are other farms here in Ontario now that are growing soybean who are, who are growing rye in the fall and then using the roller crimper to push it in. If they get a good catch after the rye, they don't have to use a herbicide. There are organic farmers who are working with it, and their plan B, if the roller crimper doesn't quite work or there isn't enough biomass in the rye, would be to mow the weeds that are growing in the soybean. There are high residue tillage equipment that they can use, and some people will add a bit more mulch. Like if there's not enough mulch with the rye, 
they'll take something from somewhere else. Then now that's usually on smaller vegetable farms. But anyway, the point I want to get at is that the roller crimper developed because of criticism and legitimate criticism from non-organic agriculture. And then organic came back with something that non-organic is adopting. Well, it was interesting because just in the last convert, the last part of the conversation, you were, was the first time you talked about really pesticide herbicide use. Although we did talk a little bit about residues earlier. Yeah. To me, a big part of the perception of what organic is is that no herbicide, <clears throat> no pesticides. Although that absolute statement isn't right. It's no. Synthetic, synthetic, synthetic. That adjective, that adjective is, is important. important. Yeah, but is that the the real fundamental benefit of organic, or is it because we changed the, the herbicide and pesticide, and we have some of these other practices relative to forages in products like dairy that we're doing other things that improve the quality of the of the food, <clears throat> or and and I guess. The question is, is it even worth picking those details apart? Well, I, I think it is. Like uh, some of the pioneers that I knew in the organic sector, they're no longer with us now. But uh, I remember when I was a master's student and I was part of the Canadian Organic Growers and we would have discussions like this. And they argued that because we have the standards, and the standards are based on a precautionary approach or the precautionary principle, if you're uncertain about the negative implications of something, you choose not to use it, and you take a wait and see for perhaps decades. So that means that you have to do other things to compensate, and it's the good that you do in the compensation that has as much to do with the benefit of organic as the fact that you're avoiding some of those synthetic pesticides and herbicides, i.e. cover crops and composting and having lots of uh, organic amendments going back to the soil. We all know that those are good things. Yeah. And to do it in a way that's economical and, uh, and then bringing in something like the roller crimper to make it work even more effectively to control weeds as well yeah. as to add nutrients to the soil... The fact that there's a compelling reason to do these things, they mean farmers have to do it, and and then um, then that tends to improve the system. Here we are almost 20 minutes into our conversation, and you've made the point for the first time that I thought would be one of the first things out of your mouth (laughs) when, when you talked about the value of, when you talked about the value of organic, which is things like, soil health and mm-hmm. sort of a more, I'm not even sure, the, you know, traditional approach to agriculture. So if, then I'm going to ask you the question, and if, and as we're starting to see, I think more people talk about soil health and, and long-term fertility, if a conventional farmer begins to do some of those things to improve soil health, like cover crops, with or without herbicides, to enhance soil quality, do you think we'd see, A, some of the health benefits that we're seeing Mm -hmm. that you're telling us are in organic food? And what are the, this gets back to my, took us 20 minutes to get here, are there other societal benefits beyond just our health if we're eating healthier foods? Okay, so 
I'm going to blame the interviewer if I... Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're, you're kind of a typical Canadian yeah. in that you want to start with uh, what are the benefits to me as a consumer. Yeah. And in North America, most consumers are concerned about the benefits to themselves. In Europe, when people talk about organic, where incidentally there's a much higher rate of adoption of organic agriculture and people purchasing organic food in uh, Austria, I think it's about 10% now, and Denmark, it might be 5 Germany, Switzerland, somewhere around 5 In Europe, many consumers ask about the ecological implications and the soil health benefits and so on, and increased biodiversity in the landscape. And there are quite a few research studies now that show that there is more biodiversity on organic farms than on non-organic farms. So... In Canada, we tend to be a little selfish and we're preoccupied with the benefit to us directly as consumers, whereas in Europe, they tend to be a bit more holistic and they they think about the benefits to themselves, but they're also aware of the ecological benefits. And it's really interesting in that regard. There was a paper that came out by a group of Scandinavians, Stefanael Rockstrom was part of that group. There were 21 of them. In 2009, they came out with a report in Planetary Boundaries. 2015, they updated it. And the two planetary boundaries that they're really clear that we're exceeding are genetic diversity loss. And the other one is excess biogeochemicals, in other words, nitrogen and phosphorus. And organic farming directly addresses both of those from an ecological point of view. It's quite clear that organic farms have higher levels of biodiversity and a number of reports. And organic farmers don't use synthetic nitrogen and phosphorus and um, therefore not contributing to that. Some organic farms may use a little bit too much manure and uh, that could be a problem. I'm not saying that it can't be a problem, but generally not, not, not as much. Well, I'm going to respond because as I recall, I ask you, why do you say people should buy more organic? So you assumed I wanted just the benefit to me. Yeah, I <laughs> and, and my question was, I, I was were... surprised you hadn't said this other element sooner, but, uh, but we will jointly take the blame here, okay. but we, we got to the point. We did. <laughs> There's more European than you than I had expected. Yeah. <laughs> All of that said, and and I think we are starting to see in North America, so we're starting to see an increasing environmental conscience Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. in purchase decisions. And perhaps we've gotten into a vicious cycle where there's a perception of what's important to consumers that they've delivered messages, which is reinforced to consumers that that is what's important, right? And so Uh we get into this vicious cycle. And perhaps until we have conversations like this one, we're not articulating clearly to consumers what some of the broader benefits are. Now, I work mm-hmm. at an agricultural university, so I've heard lots about soil health, but I expect that if I was sitting down with many of my friends who don't work here, I would get a blank stare back. And so perhaps that is a broader challenge. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I'm going to ask you a couple more things. The, mm-hmm. the first thing is... You highlighted how much further ahead Europe is, mm-hmm. but frankly, I was surprised at how low those share numbers were anyway, right? right? And mm-hmm. and my perception is, too, that Europe had seen some growth, but that share has flattened out, or that growth isn't as quick 
as it as it once was that that we've sort of established the level of organic in the mm -hmm. European market. We're still seeing growth in the North American market, perhaps constrained to a degree by production. Two questions: Why is that, and how how do we change it if we assume we should? Well, I think that there's a limit to what people want to pay for food, right. and um, I think, like in Canada, I think we're we've been around two or two and a half percent of the farmland that's organic for quite some time. I remember being part of a study in 2001, and we had hoped by that at that time that by 2010 we'd be up to 10 percent. We missed it. Yeah, <laughs> and I think mostly it's because people have a limit to what they want to pay for food. And I think, too, and especially in North America, somehow people haven't linked organic management to soil health and to long-term food security. And, of course, 90% of people in Europe are in the, in the same boat. They're not really making that connection. That doesn't mean that non-organic farmers can't have healthy soil, and many of them do. Mm -hmm. But, there, but there, we didn't all talk either about soil microbiology. And mm -hmm. uh, the reason that organic farming is called organic comes from organic matter and feeding the soil and building up soil organic matter, but also feeding the microbes in the soil. So there's all of that health aspect to it and trusting in the complexity of the soil ecosystem to support us long into the future and not having shortcuts to some of those systems with, with inputs. So I think I may have missed answering your second question. I can't, I got... Should we be higher? And if so, how do we get there? Yes, I don't know. I, like, I mean, I, I, well, do should we be higher? I would like to see us higher. Uh, yes, I, I would like to see that. How do we get there? I value living in a democratic society where people have choice. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I think that's really important. I, I would yeah. certainly not want to do something that would force people. Yeah. On the other hand, I think we do have to think about long-term health and long-term capacity in our agricultural system. And I think we could use the tax system to help us get there. One of the things that I'm becoming stronger and stronger about in my own mind yeah. is that I think that we should measure soil organic matter as an outcome that we want. And whether farmers are organic or non-organic, I think if their soil organic matter is good or very good or increasing, they should pay less property tax. Mm -hmm. And if it's fair or poor or decreasing, they should pay more. And I think that would be an incentive for all farmers. I, I think organic farmers in particular would benefit from that. But I think that's one of the things in our society that we should really value in the long term. We've been losing soil organic matter in, in Ontario quite quickly over the last number of decades, and we have to do something to turn that around. Yeah. So I think this will be my last question. I've, I've kept you about as long as I promised to, and it's probably not an easy question. You raised the issue of food security, yes. and one of the critiques of organic production is that as the population grows, organic production, I think you also said earlier, yields are a little bit lower, although yeah. those gaps look like they close to a degree as, as we get better at it as a farmer, but can we 
meet the dual objectives of producing enough food as population grows and mm -hmm. moving to an organic production system? Well, one of the things I sometimes say is that supposing our mainstream agriculture had developed to the point where our yields were 25% less than they are today, and let's also imagine if we can that wasted food was only at 15% rather than 40%, and my grandparents told me that during the Depression, wasted food was very low. So if we had a society where we had 25% lower yields and wasted food at 15%, would we want to increase our production 25% so that we could bump up our waste to 40%? Uh, that's one way of looking at it. I think there's a lot we can manage with waste. There's also a lot we can manage with population. Indigenous people here, the Ashnavi on this territory, lived for millennia, not just decades or centuries. And some people say, well, they didn't have as high a population, but maybe that too was part of a sustainable way of approaching the world. And um, if we look at curves of nitrogen fertilizer over the last century and food production and population, they all rise just like contrails of a jet all together. And I think that um, with the number of people we have, there are many things that we can do. We can eat less meat. We could eat more insects, crickets. Um, there's all kinds of things we can do with pulses. Uh, we can reduce waste. I think we generally consume too much. Right now, we produce more of the food than we sell, and we sell more food than is consumed. There, there's lots of room in the system to, to think differently about this. And I, and I think consumers, if they were conscious about some of the implications, would waste less food, would probably be more selective about what they eat, and choose not to eat too much. You're, you're more of an optimist, perhaps, than <laughs> I am. And I'm often confused. Be... Just to wrap up, I get everything you're saying with respect to things that we can do mm -hmm. relative to... A food secure future and, and some might argue a, an environmentally healthier future. But on the flip side of it, we could do things like waste less. We could do things like eat less. We could do things like eat more plant-based protein. All of those things. Right. In the absence of organic. And That's we true. could probably also do some things to improve soil health in the absence of organic. Sure. And so to go back to the question I started here with, notwithstanding that we should do all of those things, does there then remain a good reason to transition to organic? Well, I think I would say that organic has been a long-term system foil to mainstream agriculture. And I think it's good that we have it. There have been a number of changes over the years, uh, some products that we thought were okay and then were deemed not to be atrazine and other yeah, things yeah, come to yeah. mind. Now there's quite a bit of question about glyphosate or Roundup, and uh, and there are a lot of weeds developing resistance. I think it's a good thing that there's been organic research in how to manage weeds without chemicals so that we have a fallback position if we find out that we have to use it. So in general, I would say 
organic has been a long-term foil to the mainstream agriculture, and we never know for sure when we're going to have to use it, but I think it's a good thing that it's there. That we think about other ways and other things that can improve right. production outcomes, whether that's yield or health or, or whatever. Exactly. Good. Well, thanks, Ralph. I, I've enjoyed the conversation. I learned a couple of things. Thank you. Yeah, I, I enjoyed chatting with you. The quick follow-up question. One last thing. <laughs> Do you eat entirely organically? I would say mostly. Yeah. Sometimes, I, like, I mean, it depends of where I am and yes. what's available. I mean, yeah. But in my in my regular shopping habits, I buy organic. I buy most things at the farmer's market and, yeah. and I buy organic, yes. Good. Well, I'm not quite as as good. I would uh, I would say we do eat some organic, but we do eat quite a bit of of conventional produced product as well. So, thanks for your time, and I look forward to chatting again. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to thank Molly Galant for producing the podcast and Zachary Von Masso for the music that breaks up the introduction and in, in the actual discussion. And I encourage you, if you're interested, to look up some of our other episodes. Stay in touch. You can find them at foodfocusguelph.ca, which is a, a website that includes not only the podcast, but a blog and other topics of interest in food. You can pick up other episodes of the podcast there, as well as iTunes and other places that you find podcasts. I hope you will come back and listen again.